Welcome to CCH Tax Talks from Walters Kluwer Tax and Accounting. This podcast series will bring you the latest news and industry insights from thought leaders and experts in the tax world. For the most up-to-date tax legislation information, including that related to the coronavirus, please be sure to visit and bookmark www.taxna.walterskluwer.com slash COVID-19. Now, without further ado, today's podcast episode features Kathleen Brandt. Manager of Tax Product Management for CCH Access Tax and CCH ProSystem FX Tax, and Mark Luscombe, Principal Analyst of Walters Kluwer Tax and Accounting. They'll be talking about qualified opportunity zones, whereby certain areas of a community are targeted for development and investment. This topic was affected by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and is at the forefront of tax professionals' minds as they try to offer more consulting services to their clients regarding its ramifications. Hello, I'm Kathleen Grant, Product Manager for Tax at Walters Kluwer Tax and Accounting. And with me today is Mark Luscombe, Principal Analyst at Walters Core Tax and Accounting. Today, let's talk about qualified opportunity zones. You know, this is a topic that was affected by the 2017 Tax Cuts Jobs Act, but it was really buried under the more popular topics that we, we've talked about in the past. So let me provide you some background. A qualified opportunity fund is an entity that invests in property that's located in a qualified opportunity zone. So generally, a qualified opportunity zone is an area that's located in a low-income community and has been nominated or selected by the state government. So the purpose is to make these communities, these low-income communities, more appealing to investors so that they can invest in and ultimately spur more economic development. So with the 2017 tax reforms, there were two major incentives offered. Mark, can you please talk a little bit about those incentives? Sure. There are basically a provision for deferral of the of gain that is realized on the sale or exchange of a capital asset uh, and also a possible permanent exclusion of gain that appreciation that occurs while the investment is in the Qualified Opportunity Fund. So this sounds kind of too good to be true. Uh, I'm sure there's some limitations involved with uh, these funds. Yes, there are. With respect to the deferral, the gain on the sale or exchange of a capital asset has to be invested in the Qualified Opportunity Fund within 180 days of the realization of the gain. And that uh, fund then has, uh, has to invest those assets in a Qualified Opportunity Zone, and 90% of the assets of the Qualified Opportunity Fund have to be invested in a Qualified Opportunity Zone for it to be a valid Qualified Opportunity Fund. And further, the uh, deferral it only lasts until 2020, the end of 2026. And besides the deferral, if you hold the investment in the Qualified Opportunity Fund for at least five years, then you get to forgive 10% of the gain. So it's not only a deferral, but also has a, a partial forgiveness provision. And then while the investment is in the Qualified Opportunity Fund, if it's held there for at least 10 years, any additional gain while it's held in the fund also is eligible for a permanent exclusion from tax. So really you have people that can defer the gain for the next five or six years, and then after that, 
um, some of it would be forgiven? That's, that's right. Addi additional gain that, while it's in the fund, has the potential to be forgiven. Okay, so that, that makes sense. Um, so if you have a taxpayer that has invested in a one of these qualified opportunities funds, how would they report this? Well, there are uh, so far uh, they keep adding forms, but so far there are three forms that are that are involved. Um, form eighty nine ninety six is used by the qualified opportunity fund to report the uh, their holdings with respect to investments in qualified opportunity zones. With respect to the taxpayer making the investment, there are uh, there are two forms. Form 8949 is used to make the election to defer the gain by uh, transferring it into a uh, qualified opportunity fund. And Form 8997, which is a new form for 2019, it was not uh, not available in 2018, but that's used by the taxpayer as sort of a, a summary annual report uh, re reflecting their initial investments and also continuing annual investments in qualified opportunity funds. So if they if they do have one of these funds, if they've invested in one of these funds, just to reiterate, you have three forms that you really need to look at: the 8996. The 8949 do you think that this is replacing like kinds of exchanges? Well, it has the potential to have an effect there. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act also changed like kind exchanges. They had been available for both real and personal property, and now uh, going forward, like kind exchanges are only available for real property. While uh, while the qualified opportunity fund investments can be uh, both personal and real property. So, um, if if you're look, talking about personal property, then then certainly like kind exchanges are, are going away, and the only option is uh, is qualified opportunity funds. Um, but with respect to real property, there there could still be some advantages to like-kind exchanges. They're uh, they're more established and have uh, more established rules. While we're still getting a clarification on the rules for qualified opportunity zones and funds, um, also the uh, the deferral under uh, like-kind exchanges can be uh, can be permanent, um, as you can keep. Uh, keep exchanging for another uh, property and, and keep deferring it and uh, you can if you do that until you die you might uh, eventually even get a forgiveness of the gain on on death with stepped up basis um, so but with the qualified opportunity fund you not only have deferral but you also have the possibility as we talked about for some forgiveness of tax on the gain but the uh, the deferral only lasts until 2026, at least under current law. So it's uh, it's not doesn't have the same permanence as the uh, as the like kind exchange potentially has. So there's as far as advantages of a of a qualified opportunity fund, you do have the next five or six years where you can defer or potentially have that capital gain um, given. 
So that's definitely an advantage for the next five or six years. Um, do you see then that lot kind of changes could potentially come back? Well, I think I think I think some people will probably still use like kind exchanges, especially if they if they have a property in mind that they're uh, that they're looking at that they that they they want to exchange. The uh, another difference is that qualified opportunity funds only require the investment of the gain, not the not the total sales price of the uh, of the asset that's being sold. Well. Well, for like-kind exchanges, you have to uh, roll over the entire proceeds of the uh, of the uh, property into the new property. So that's that's another difference. And and uh, if you're if you already have a property in mind, that that might not be a problem because often you're uh, you're trading up to a more valuable property anyway. But uh, but if if the like-kind exchange rules don't uh, don't suit you, or if you uh, aren't interested in uh, Acquiring another property, then uh, then the qualified opportunity zone might be a better bet. Yeah, definitely. So, um, how popular is this? Um, you know, compared to you know we we know so much about the like kind of exchanges, but how how popular um, are the qualified opportunity zones? I mean, is that something that um, we're going to see more and more of? Well, I think so. I mean, it got got off to kind of a slow start. It was sort of buried in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and uh, people didn't uh, pay a lot of attention to it initially because it just seemed like another one of these uh, you know, empowerment zones or other things that the tax law has done to try to encourage investment in low-income areas. But the more people looked at this, the more people uh, saw there was a lot of potential with this. And that actually uh, some of these qualified opportunity zones actually cover areas that uh, – were pretty ripe for development anyway, which is one of the concerns being raised about the provision that it might be a little too broad and uh, and providing unnecessary tax incentives where people would have invested anyway. But the the statistics I've seen most recently are that uh, about $7.5 billion have already been invested in qualified opportunity funds, and, and about half of that has come in relatively recently, just since uh, December of last year, and and the first part of uh, uh, by last year, I mean 2019, and the first part of 2020. So, uh, so I think perhaps the the final regulations that came out in December answered some people's questions and got them comfortable with uh, with investing in these QOFs, and uh, and now it seems to be continuing into 2020 as well. Yeah, you mentioned the final regs. Um, I know that there were some regs that came out at, towards the end of December of 2019. Um, what can you what can you say about that? Did anything change, or was anything clarified? It provided a lot of clarifications. I mean, with with anything new, uh, the uh, the statute never addresses everyone's questions and uh, sort of leaves it to the IRS to fill in the blanks. And that's certainly uh, certainly the case with these provisions. For example, um, on the 180 day test, that's uh, the statute says that starts uh, uh, when the gain is realized, but if you're if you're in a business uh, like a partnership, you uh, the partner won't know uh, their gain from the uh, partnership until the end of the year. And uh, if you have a 1231 asset where you're uh, netting uh, netting gains and losses, you might not know that netting process until uh, until the end of the year. So the the final regulations 
clarified some exceptions to when the 180-day test would start and, and to address situations such as that. Also, installment sales was another area that they clarified in that regard. And also, the uh, another clarification was with respect to the 90% test that uh, that or the qualified opportunity fund had to have 90% of its assets uh, invested in uh, QOZ businesses. Um, questions came up about, well, what, what if you've got newly contributed assets at the end of the year that you haven't had a chance to invest? So they they put in an exclusion for newly contributed assets and, and some other things to address concerns about uh, meeting the 90-day test. And there's there's a, a number of other similar situations like that. What is uh, uh, When is inventory uh, considered uh, in the st- substantial use of a qualified opportunity zone? What does substantially all mean for a mobile tangible property that might move in and out of a qualified opportunity zone? So a lot of a lot of details like that that weren't uh, weren't addressed obviously in the statute that people needed answers on uh, are addressed in these final regulations and I think that has that has helped a lot of people get comfortable with them. Yeah, I think you're right with the final regs. People are starting to understand it more, maybe see a little bit more of it, and um, getting some clarity. So I, I suspect we'll probably see a lot more usage of those um, qualified opportunity zones um, in the future. Mark, thank you very much for giving us some insights into qualifying opportunity zones and how to use them. And that will conclude our WK Tax Talk. Thank you. Walters Kluwer Tax and Accounting provides integrated software and information solutions for tax and accounting professionals with solutions for every size organization, from sole proprietors to multinationals. To learn more about news, insights, and technologies that can help streamline and simplify your tax workflow, bookmark our podcast page at www.engagetax.walterskluwer.com slash tax talks. Additionally, for ongoing tax-related updates related to the coronavirus pandemic as they continue to develop, please be sure to visit and bookmark www.taxna.walterskluwer.com slash COVID-19. That's C-O-V-I-D-19. Thank you for listening. This Tax Talks podcast series is a 2020 production of CCH Incorporated. The content is for general information purposes only and should not be considered substitute for legal, tax, or accounting advice.